When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there. Welcome into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. Your friend Sam Dykstra is in New York City. My name is Tyler Mon. He's my friend also. Uh, hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Uh, yeah, we're all spread out and mine. And then I just cut it out after your friend. I just said your friend, Sam Dykstra. Like I was talking to like a, a son that I was disappointed. Your friend, Sam Dykstra, <laughs> called here. <laughs> I would like to apologize for whatever I've done, uh, Mr. Mon. I didn't mean to do it. And it'll never happen again. Oh, um, man. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're all, all spread uh, out. We're this all over week. the world. Right. Yeah. You're, you're in, uh, you know, Taiwan. Uh, ben is. I think currently on the road between Nashville and Bowling Green. I'll catch up with him later. Um, Ben's on his last road trip. Never mind penultimate, just straight up last road trip yeah. of 2023. Um, going through the American Midwest and parts of the South, I guess. Yeah, Nashville's the South. Uh, Kentucky's the South. Uh, so, yeah, we'll catch up with him later. I'm in New York City, as I always am, but I might be hitting the road again next week. Uh, ah. So keep an eye out for that. That's a little tease. We can talk about that more next week, but yeah, the season's almost over, but it's not over yet. And as you can prove, there's baseball play, being played everywhere. I mean, there is what have you seen out of the uh... to be played and to be watched right. and to be caught? So, what have you seen out of the World Cup so far? Yeah, U18 baseball World Cup. We are uh, we're into the super round, which is the round of the top six teams uh, of the twelve that started the opening round last week. Um, it has been really fun. It's uh, it has been. Uh, a lot of surprises, I would say, this time around. Um, I'll, I'll cut to the cut to the chase. USA Baseball, the team that probably most everybody who listens to this podcast would be interested in. Uh, I'll be honest with you, not really blowing me away. We have seen some really freakishly talented USA Baseball teams uh, come through the U18 World Cup in recent years. They've won five of the last six U18 World Cups. This is really the launching pad event. We, uh, at the WBSC side, we've got U12 and U15 baseball World Cups. U15s is kind of when it really starts getting fun, when you can start seeing projectability and athletes and all that. U18s, it's legit. We've got some players who are already signed on certain teams internationally, uh, a lot of players who will be in the draft next year. Uh, and this year, USA Baseball, um, you know, trying to defend their championship from the last World Cup. Uh, they made it through the opening round with just one loss. They lost a 4-3 to three game to Japan, a game they trailed 4 nothing going into the bottom of the seventh inning, um, and then rallied for three. They left the tying run on base. Uh, but tonight, it is currently Thursday night here in Taiwan when we're recording. It's Thursday morning for Sam. Uh, they just, uh, I mean, 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, lost uh, to Chinese Taipei. Uh, the name of the team that plays uh, for Taiwan um, here tonight. And, you know, they got shut out. It was a 3 nothing game. 
they just have not blown the doors off. They haven't had really a game where, you know, the offense comes to life and you think, all right, they're here now. They've had stretches in games um, where I think it's felt that way. They had a game against Panama. They were leading 6 nothing after the top of the third, and you thought, all right, they're going to roll this team. They ended up winning that game 6-4, and Panama had the tying run on base uh, in the bottom of the seventh and had the winning run at the plate. Um, so it has been interesting to watch, uh, and I'm not sure if it's a circumstance where, you know, the, the talent level is just a little bit different than what we've seen in years past, uh, or if it's, you know, something with the, the travel or roster construction or whatever. Um, but this team has just not quite looked as world beating, I would say, as, uh, we've come to expect from a lot of U18 US teams. Now they still have, you know, three days left. Uh, if everything goes well, they'll play two more super round games. Uh, and then on Sunday, there will be a bronze medal game and the world championship final. But so far, they've lost to the other two best teams in this tournament. They lost to Japan. They lost to Chinese Taipei tonight. Uh, and they've been close losses, sure, but it doesn't really help. Um, so I'm I'm not really sure what to put my finger on with this team. But it is kind of interesting to see a USA baseball team that is does not look dominant. Um on the other side, some really fun prospects uh, internationally. I think the biggest storyline um, from teams not named USA Baseball, uh, the Netherlands made it into the, the Super Round for the second straight year at the U18 level. They threw a no-hitter uh, against Venezuela, a combined no-hitter that was kind of an ugly one. They issued 11 walks in that game, and they won it 8-2. to two. But then two days later, they got a complete game no-hitter out of a kid named Maxwell Cornelison, uh, who went all seven against Spain, uh, struck out, I believe, eight in that one, only allowed a couple of base runners, one on a uh, hit-by-pitch and one on a drop third strike. Um you know, that's been very cool to watch. Now, the Netherlands did drop a game today to open the, the Super Round against Puerto Rico, um, but they have been really fun to watch. Uh, Japan, there is a, a next generation of stars coming up in Japan. They got a, a second baseman named Ren Ogata on that team uh, who has been terrifically fun to watch. He came into the day today, I believe, nine for his first 13 in the tournament. Um, extra base hits and, you know, just good pop and flash for a second baseman. Uh, but it's, you know, the, the game of baseball is alive and as good as ever. There has not been a single team here that has looked outmatched. Um, nobody is, uh, you know, even the teams that have struggled and that have fallen into the, the consolation round, what's called the placement round for WBSC. Those teams have substantial talent as well. There are guys, you know, Spain went winless in the group that I covered for the opening round. Spain's got guys who are in the, the MLB Academy um, in Germany, guys who really look like projectable future pros. Um, so, you know, there's a, a lot to keep an eye on uh, for all these athletes going forward. And we still got three days left here, um, which should make for uh, an exciting finish. Yeah, for sure. One interesting thing about that to me, like you said, I, I, Having covered PDP, which was part of the selection process for this, um, you know, hearing from scouts saying this high school class isn't quite up to snuff to what others have been, which yeah. happens, right? Like just the yeah. even flow of talent. There's nothing to explain it. It's just sometimes there's good years. Sometimes there's a little rougher years. But also just hearing that like Japan and Chinese Taipei are really, really good. Yeah. It's just another reminder that, you know, it isn't just the professional leagues that we're getting guys from. I mean, Shohei Otani was coming up as a young kid and was considered one of the best talents in the world. Um, and there's more coming. Uh, and the fact that other teams or other countries 
are kind of catching up to us is a, is a credit to them as much as it is to the state of USA baseball. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, I have a, a great color analyst here, a guy named Keith Jung, who's a, a former employee in the Cubs organization. He was a minor league strength coach for the Cubs. And uh, Keith is Taiwanese. He's from here uh, and he's based in Taipei now. And he works as a, a strength coach for a, uh, an industrial league team here. Um, but Keith and I were talking about how, uh, teams tend to succeed, especially from, you know, Japan, Korea, the Chinese Taipei teams, they'll succeed and win more tournaments more often, especially at these younger levels than the Latin American teams will. But the Latin American teams produce vastly more major leaguers. And what's interesting is just the rate at which these players develop. You'll see guys, the Venezuela team that was here or the Puerto Rico team that's here, the Panama team that's here. You can see players and realize like, oh, that kid is going to be a stud someday. Like he's already getting there. Um, but learning to play baseball at a high level, uh, those players just continue to get better and better and better as they get into especially those young first pro years. And it's really cool to see the different developmental tracks uh, for all of these athletes across the world. So there is certainly a lot of talent in this tournament, um, but it is interesting. I was talking with a, an MLB uh, director of amateur scouting and asked him about who he was most excited for, uh, especially with USA Baseball. And he kind of, you know, had to scratch his head and say, um, you know, I mean, there are some tools with some guys that, that we're really excited about. But I definitely got the impression that there is not a can't-miss prospect um, on the USA Baseball roster for sure. There's a lot. And don't get me wrong. There are a lot of good ball players. But, um, you know, the, the, the teams that have come through in years past, you really looked at and thought, oh, this is a team that's got half a dozen first-rounders on it. Um, and this next draft class coming out of the high school ranks just does not seem quite as deep in that top-level talent. Uh, I also had a scouting director tell me, I don't think this is the most talented roster that USA Baseball could have put together. I think they left a lot of talent at home. Um, but when you're trying to build a roster for a 10-day tournament, you have to look at things beyond just talent. You have to look at how you're going to be able to use players um, the way they are going to handle the travel, the way they're going to handle the schedule, the way they're going to handle their playing time. Um, so that was a really interesting thing to hear as well. And, uh, you know, I got three days to to get it all sorted out and see who comes out on top. But it is a fun event. If, uh, if you're ever uh, in a place that is hosting the U18 Baseball World Cup, and last year it was in Florida, so it probably won't be back in the U.S. for a little while, but uh, if you ever happen to find yourself somewhere around the world that's hosting one of these events, it is really cool uh, to see sort of the next generation of uh, superstars come through. Yeah, Shohei Otani uh, took part. You Darvish took part in this. Clayton Kershaw was on U.S. national team. You know, Tristan Casas uh, is probably the most recent example of a guy who was what was uh, five years ago. Tristan Casas was on this U18 team, and now he's a Rookie of the Year candidate uh, in the American League. So um, a lot of talent, and it is a, a super fun event to work. Yeah, so, and if, if if anybody ever goes, they can find you. Yeah, you can let me know. I'll probably be around. It's the voice of the tournament. Yelling yeah. into a microphone, you know, being being one of those people. Um, it's actually been cool. We've got an outdoor booth here. Um, they set us up in a different place uh, than we've been at different times in this stadium. And it's kind of neat because we're in the scouting section. Um, so every once in a while, you know, a game will end and I'll have some random scout walk by and tap me on the arm like, hey, nice job. And I'm like, ah, I didn't realize you guys were listening, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But it has been uh, it's been a bunch of fun um and speaking of a bunch of fun it's september sam and that means there are a lot of prospects headed up uh to the major leagues who we have not seen tested at the big league level as of yet and this year there are a lot of prospects who are getting the call who 
it's kind of shocking that we're seeing them at the major league level. Maybe not shocking, but I would say surprising, certainly, for a lot of these guys. And some of them do, I think, border on shocking. Three that we're going to focus on. Jason Dominguez, the Martian, has arrived uh, in New York with the New York Yankees. Homered in his first major league at bat. Um, He's been impressive so far. And this is a guy who, remember, his scouting comparisons when he signed with the Yankees at 16 years old were things like, Bo Jackson, Mickey Mantle, and Mike Trout. Um, And that's not us saying that. That was Major League scouts put those comparisons on Jason Dominguez, which is insane to me. Um, There were, you know, talks over the last few years that had Jason Dominguez regressed, blah, blah, blah. This year, he's had a very good year, and he finally gets a call to the Major League level. Um, He is not the only top prospect in New York to get the call, running Mauricio up with the New York Mets. Um, So that Mets... Next prospect class really has pretty much arrived in Queens. Um, And then came a surprising item from the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, Jordan Lawler, getting the call uh, to the major league level. I did not expect to see Jordan Lawler in the big leagues this year. I don't know if that was something that was on your radar. I think we knew it was a possibility. Um, But seeing that, that really surprised me. Um, Give us your thoughts on these three guys going up. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with Jordan Lawler, because like you said, it might be the most shocking of all of them. It. I don't know. When we were looking at like who could be called up in September, I put Jordan Lawler in a not likely bucket. I mean, he just got to AAA uh, on August 15th. So he just got there, had a very solid ending to his time at AA, performed well at AAA. Don't get me wrong. Like he was hitting the ball really well for Reno, but it's the Pacific Coast League. He was playing in Reno, which is a launching pad. He played games in Sugarland, uh, which is another launching pad. Uh, his last game, for the Aces was at Albuquerque, which, as you know, Tyler is another launching pad. He had the two Coors of New Mexico, we shall say. Yeah. So the guy was doing well, but he was doing play, doing well in places that you kind of expect him to. As long as he's getting the ball up in the air, he has the power to to clear the fences. So I thought it was going to be getting him more time at AAA, ending on a good note. Um, but you know, the D-backs, as we sit here on Thursday, are half a game out of a wild card spot, and that. NL wildcard race is insane. I mean, we can't even rule out the Padres who were like five, six games back because they have the best run differential of, of that group. It's feel like a sleeping giant, sleeping giant going on for close to six months now, but a sleeping giant nonetheless. There are a lot of teams in that mix. And if you're the D-backs and you were looking at your shortstop options and you see Jordan Lawler hitting the ground running at AAA, they decided to pull the, the lever. And I think a lot of this has to do with the uh, you know prospect promotion incentives, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, the prospect promotion incentives were a new part of the CBA that if a top 100 prospect opens up the year on the opening day roster and stays on that roster, uh, and then goes on to win Rookie of the Year or MVP or Cy Young in their first three years um, before arbitration their organization gets an extra draft pick at the end of the first round. We saw the Mariners take advantage of this with Julio Rodriguez. Um, We saw both the D-backs and the Orioles do this last year with Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll. They called them both up late, so they were still prospect eligible by the time opening day rolled around. Um, But they had major league experience, and now what do we see? Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson are the runaway favorites, I would say, uh, to win Rookie of the Year in the AL and the NL. So you're seeing guys like Jordan Lawler, hey, if he can help us right now, let's not hold him down any longer. Let's bring him up. He'll still be prospect eligible. We can still take advantage of those incentives, and we can use his skills now. Um, so calling him up when they did, you know, is, is 
shocking in a bubble in that he got so limited time at AAA, but uh, not necessarily in the broader picture. You look at what he was doing in his last 66 games since the start of June between AA and AAA. He was batting 321, had a 970 OPS, had 14 homers and 23 stolen bases. Um, so he's a, a power speed guy. He can do both really well. He can run the bases really well. Um, he's shown an ability to hit for power. I know Reno, I said, was a great place for hitters. Amarillo is also a really good place for hitters, so I think he took advantage of that. Um, I think the bat's going to take a little while longer to come around against major league pitching in more pitcher-friendly environments. Um, but he's fast enough. He can play shortstop ably. Uh, he could certainly be a help to the D-backs if they're going to try to chase down this wild card spot. And they have said he is our starting shortstop. So this is not just bringing a guy up and having him wallow on the bench. Uh, the other two guys you mentioned, Jason Dominguez. Jason Dominguez, I mean, I, it was really difficult evaluating him at, at the beginning of the year. He's only 20 years old. They sent him to double A, super young for that level. There was a time where his batting average was around 210 and his OBP was like 150 points higher. I mean, the guy was taking walks at a really good rate, but was not hitting really well. Now, I know batting average isn't what it used to be and all that, but it was just a really funky line to see at the beginning of the year. Then you look at what he's done you know, to kind of end his time uh, in the Yankees minor league system anyways, between double A and triple A. And he got a little bit of time at triple A, kind of similar to Lawler. He's called up on August 22nd and was up in the majors a, a week later. Um, but between double A and triple A since July 1st uh, to the end of his time with Scranton, he had a 346 average, 926 OPS, five homers and 22 stolen bases. Now, you know, he had absurd hype, like you mentioned coming into pro ball when he first signed. And I think he was almost, a. I mean, I don't want to say he was a victim of the pandemic, but like he was signed and then did not play that first year because of the pandemic. So all we had was the hype and it continued to build. And he was posting social media, uh, you know, videos and stuff like that, looking really good. And we were just wondering who he was going to be. And then he shows up and it's not quite what you would have hoped immediately. It certainly didn't look like Mickey Mantle. Um, last year looked fatigued in the Arizona Fall League, had a rough start this year, but really came on strong. And now you're kind of seeing it with the Yankees. He is their starting center fielder. He is adding that energy uh, in a really interesting way. Now, you know, I don't think he, this hot start's going to last forever. He's got like a 199 WRC plus or OPS plus rather. Uh, so far, he's slugging 810 through 21 at bats. I don't think that's necessarily who he can be, but the guy is super talented. He always has been. Um, and you know, there were some questions about, will it, would he be able to stick in center? Looks like he will so far. Uh, we'll see how things go along for the Yankees, but the reason why they brought him up in part was because, Hey, they are not competitive this year. They are not going to go for a playoff spot. They're trying to evaluate what they have. They brought up Everson Pereira. They brought up, uh, Austin Wells. They're undergoing a little bit of a youth movement because they're the Yankees. They should be making big moves in the off season, but maybe they don't have to, if these guys look ready. Right now, Jason Dominguez is looking like somebody who should be an opening day outfielder for the Yankees next season. Uh, and that can inform some of the moves they make from here. Is he their center fielder? Do they move him to left? Something like that. We'll see. Um, obviously, you know, Aaron Judge is going to take up one of those spots. Uh, Jaron Carlos Stanton, if he's still on the roster, obviously is a probably is primarily a DH, but like still needs some outfield time if you want to keep him valuable. Um, so the Yankees have to figure some stuff out, but part of that evaluation process is going to be with Dominguez and the Mets are kind of in a similar spot with Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, you mentioned the Mets young core 
which for years we've talked about is Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, Ronnie Mauricio, not necessarily in that order. Now they're all on the major league roster. Um, they're not looking as good as they once did as prospects. I think Alvarez is clearly their catcher of the present, their catcher of the future. Brett Beatty got sent down for a while. Mark Vientos isn't killing the ball like you would need him to, given the rest of his profile. Uh, but Ronnie Mauricio was the last guy to kind of fall into place. And the guy hits the ball hard. Don't get me wrong. His first major league hit uh, was the hardest hit ball by a Met all season. Some There might be some adrenaline at play there, but it was 117 miles an hour. Uh, the guy can hit the ball hard. He always has. He, his max AAA velocity or exit velocity was 116. So he, he's always been able to swing the bat hard. He just gets super aggressive with his approach, doesn't walk much, can expand the zone. Sometimes that means putting bat on ball, but sometimes it means striking out more than he should. His strikeout numbers are down this year, but still he's not making the quality of contact that he could for somebody with his raw power. Um, he's played a lot of second base as the season's gone on. They've tried him in other spots. He came up as a shortstop. Francisco Lindor is going to block him there. Uh, I think he might be better fit at third base given his size and his arm. But, you know, again, Brett Beatty's playing there. Mark Vientos needs some time there. So you stick him at second, move Jack McNeil to the outfield, and just, again, see what you have. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard early. Like I said, he's, he's doing everything you would hope he could. Uh, and, you know, the Mets are going to, again, have to make some decisions going into the offseason. I don't know if they're going to try to be as competitive as the Yankees, uh, we've already heard like Justin Verlander say out the door or, you know, and Max Scherzer say out the door that this seems like a club competing for 2025, not necessarily 2024. So if that's the case, then Ronnie Mauricio is likely going to be their opening day second baseman next year. But again, get his feet wet, especially if he needs to improve his approach. The only way he can do that against major league pitching is to see major league pitching. So that's what we're seeing here. And I, you know, just to circle back to Lawler, these are the guys who are up so far. We're we're sitting here on September seventh. Um, these are the ones getting the call. Some of these minor leagues are going to be ending soon. AAA is a few weeks away, um, so guys can hang out there a little bit longer. But if guys like Jordan Lawler are getting called up, who knows who's just around the corner? And that really is where we sit right now. We are heading into the final weeks of the minor league regular season. Um, for those who don't follow the regular season at every level on uh, a week-to-week basis, Sam, give us kind of a status report of where we are uh, with teams clinching playoff berths. Uh, you know, we've got short season teams already winning titles. Um, and, yep. of course, uh, moving on toward the the postseason in uh, the Class A ranks, a double A AA and a triple A. Yeah, so single A and high A will be finishing up their regular seasons this week. Um, not all playoffs are set just yet uh, because of the new format being a first-half champion and a second-half champion uh, from your division. But like the Northwest League, uh, the championship series is already set. It's Everett and Vancouver. Um, a lot of these other ones we're still waiting on you know, standings to, to settle in. Um, you look at like the Carolina League, we know that Down East Wood Ducks have a spot, Myrtle Beach Pelicans have a spot, Charleston River Dogs, uh, Florida State League. We already know this is a fun one. Jupiter will be playing Palm Beach. So two teams that normally share a park, but have had to move. A commuter series, if you will. A commuter series, From yeah. one clubhouse to the other. Yeah, what do you call that uh, for Southeast Florida instead of the subway series? The uh, golf cart series. There we go. There it is. I was going to struggle with that. Um, so, yeah, Jupiter versus Palm Beach in the East Division. Clearwater is still waiting its opponent in the Florida State League West Division. Uh, Carolina League, like I said, Down East Wood Ducks awaiting its opponent in the North Division. Uh, it'll be Charleston, a Rays affiliate going up against 
your former club, Tyler, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, a Cubs affiliate in the Carolina League South. Uh, San Jose and Rancho Cucamonga have clinched their spots in the California League, but are both waiting to see who they will be playing starting next week. Uh, and then in high A, I already mentioned the Northwest League, Hudson Valley and Greenville, so our uh, Yankees and Red Sox affiliate, have clinched spots in the South Atlantic League North and the South Atlantic League South. Uh, we'll have to see how those divisions shake out. Uh, Midwest League, it's the Great Lakes Loons coming out of the East Division for the first half champs and the Cedar Rapids Colonels, a Twins affiliate in the West Division. Um, so we're, there's some other battles still going on, obviously, in A, but we can talk about that more next week uh, because A still has another week of the regular season and then AAA after that. Uh, and AAA, we know that Norfolk has uh, has the first International League playoff spot and Oklahoma City has the first Pacific Coast League playoff spot. Those are not by divisions. Those are just by straight-up leagues. Uh, so the first half champ will go up against the second half champ uh, and from the entire league, and then the winners of those games will meet in Vegas for the AAA National Championship game. So we're actually talking about playoffs. Uh, cue up Hiram Edwards. We're actually talking about playoffs now. And uh, next week, the games will actually begin, and we, we will crown some champions pretty quick. I mean, these these series happen yeah, quicker than do. you think. They do happen in uh, the snap of a, a finger. Snap of two fingers? Anyway. Um, so you can, uh, check out MILB.com. You can get all the, uh, the scheduling and all the information for upcoming postseason series in the minor leagues. Um, all right, Sam, what, uh, what do we got? What do we got with Ben this week? I'm, I'm going to bed soon. What are you two talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll get Ben on the horn here in a, in a little bit, uh, to talk about his, the first start of his trip. I mean, he went to Nashville. Uh, I was in Nashville earlier this season, so I'm sure we'll have some good sounds stories to share. Um, he's on his way to Bowling Green. Um, so we'll, we'll check in on that and he'll be able to talk about what's coming the rest of the trip, which is again, his final trip of 2023. So here's me talking to Ben. Well, as promised, we are joined now on the road on his last, not penultimate, but actually last, uh, trip of 2023. Benjamin Hill is joining us from the road. And if you are calling to Ben on the road, there are chances that he's going to be at one of two places, either at the minor league ballpark or at the record store. So Ben, where do we find you on this fine day? The latter, of course. <laughs> uh, it, it is a, uh, what is it? Thursday afternoon in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, yeah, I'm talking to you in my rental car a Toyota, Toyota Corolla for those who care about those type of things uh, in the parking lot of Grimey's record store. And um, it's a great record store. They opened a new location in 2019 that is uh, way better than the old one that I've been to, uh, you know, two levels, a stage in the back, um, really great selection of stuff per usual. I went in being like, maybe I'll get one thing and I got more than one thing. And uh, I've just got too many records and they're hard to travel with, but it's just, you just can't say no to places like this, uh, or at least I can't. So I've had a good morning in Nashville. I, I visited what I, what to me are the three G's of Nashville. I went to Gabby's Burgers, which is an excellent little hole in the wall, super friendly uh, burger place. And I can get them a uh, jazz style, gluten-free on a lettuce wrap or on a gluten-free bun. Uh, but really great burgers at Gabby's and um, really great atmosphere as well. Highly recommended. And Gabby's is right near Greer, the second G, the former home of the Nashville Sounds, which just does not exist anymore. 
like I went over there and I couldn't even find just some bit of faded grandstand, you know, plywood somewhere. I couldn't find the the outline of a field whatsoever. Uh, but I still felt I had to check out Greer Stadium or what Greer used to be. And then the third G here, Grimey's, a great record store. So, um, you know, time's been limited. It's a 24-hour stay in, in Nashville. And um, it's been a lot of fun, though. And, um, of course, saw the Nashville Sounds yesterday night at First Horizon Park. And it's been the first time I went there in eight years. So good to get reacquainted with the Nashville Sounds. Yeah, for sure. And, and people who have listened to the show all summer know that I was at First Horizon Park earlier this summer for MLB Pipeline Game of the Month alongside Kelsey Hennigan. We did kind of a specialty show from Nashville talking to the manager, Rick Sweet, hitting coach, um, some other folks behind the scenes. But Ben, in your trip, I mean, you're going there, like you said, it was on September 6th. Uh, season's about wrapping up. A little bit different time to see the sounds. What stood out from from this return, like you said, for the first time in eight years? Well, for me, yeah, just the, the passage of time. Um, when I went in 2015, the ballpark had just opened, I believe with a slightly different corporate name, but now it's First Horizon Park. And, um, you know, the story then was a very typical story when there's a new minor league ballpark of, like, there's going to be a lot of development around this area. And uh, that development obviously had not happened eight years ago. And in some cases with minor league ballparks or just ballparks, arenas, sports facilities in general, it doesn't happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. There's a lot of variables. But uh, really a like essentially new or at least new era of a Nashville neighborhood has popped up around First Horizon Park. And uh, maybe it's not the most uh, you know pleasant view right now in left field, but there is a ton of construction on, on new apartment buildings uh, looming over left field. Um, you know, as you guys saw when you visited Nashville, you know, there's uh, businesses along the um, third baseline that all have, uh, you know, kind of balconies that look onto the field. There's a Brooklyn Bowl, you know, a music venue, which, of course, originated in Brooklyn, very close to where I used to live. Um, and there's a sports bar and a brewery. Um, and, you know, there's other places around the general area of that nature. So um, it's a lot more built up of an area than it was eight years ago. And I think that's what jumped out to me as well. And the sounds, you know, really prioritize, um, you know, making it a fun atmosphere with a lot of room to move. Uh, they really put a strong emphasis on the bandbox area and right field to kind of have a drink, hang out, uh, get some of the more the more unique food in the ballpark. You know, giant connect four and cornhole. And most intriguingly to me, uh, a nine hole mini golf course with each of the holes designed by local artists. Um, so there's a lot going on out there in the outfield. And of course, hey, you and me, the real baseball head, we also want to see some baseball. But if, you know, the sounds definitely cater to people who don't really need to pay any attention uh, to baseball whatsoever out there at the ballpark. And yeah, it was a September, so not one of the bigger crowds. They played as their Copa identity, uh, La Musica de Nashville, you know, the music of Nashville, the Nashville sounds, uh, still paying tribute to uh, Nashville's music history. Um, they had the Nolensville Little League team uh, in attendance, you know, who went uh, to the Little League World Series. So they were the stars of the show in the pregame. Um, so there's still quite a lot going on and a beautiful, beautiful night for baseball. Really great baseball sky as the sun set, you know, dark, per deep, deep purple, you know, like the rock band. Uh, just really beautiful atmosphere. So uh, it, it was a great night to be in Nashville, even if it was a Wednesday in September. 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's the sense I got too, is that it's a really strong baseball town because it's a very strong events town. I mean, Nashville knows how to throw a party, knows how to get people together uh, from all different types of walks of life. Uh, and that certainly, that presence is felt at First Horizon Park. So I'm glad you had that similar experience. Um, I remember you are talking about that the apartments that are going up in left field and talking to folks there. And they were saying, you know, you used to be able to see all the way to the train tracks, which were like blocks away. Uh, that was all just flatland uh, heading towards the city. And now it's really being built up and people who might stay in those apartments can be looking down and watching sounds games and, and be part of that community still um, not paying a ticket, but you know, it, maybe they'll look down in there, see all the cornholes, see, see the mini golf and decide they want to spend a little extra to be part of the experience. So uh, definitely, you know, Nashville is a developing city. Uh, there are cranes up everywhere around there, but uh, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. It's insane. Um, all right. Well, Ben, you, you're at, this is just the start of your trip. Like you said, you're starting in Nashville going next to Bowling Green, which is happening on the day we're talking here on Thursday. Uh, what I really like about this itinerary, you start in Nashville, basically you're going due North going to Bowling Green, then Louisville, in Indianapolis and then taking a 90 degree turn right uh, and heading over to Columbus. So as you look forward to those stops and, and, you know, next week we'll talk about what you saw, but kind of preview for us the rest of the trip hitting up, uh, you know, Bowling Green and then three straight AAA international clubs. Yeah, I'm glad this itinerary came together, especially at the end of the season. Good way to close things out. Uh, every place I'm visiting, I haven't been to, but you know, in between something like nine and 11 years. So uh, definitely due to hit these teams anyway. And, um, you know, a lot of baseball history in this area. And, um, yeah, covering a lot of ground. I like that I'm hitting all these different states. Um, and, yeah, I'll be at Bowling Green Hot Rods tonight. I mean, essentially, when we're done speaking, Sam, you know, I'm in the rental car right now. I'm pulling out of Grimey's and heading straight to Bowling Green. That's not a very long drive. I've not been to Bowling Green since uh, 2013, uh, their inaugural season, I believe. Um, I believe that's when they started. Um, so it's been a long time since I've been to Bowling Green. Um, and uh, so really looking forward to getting back there again. They are playing as the bootleggers tonight on a Thursday. Uh, they do that almost every Thursday. I guess a thirsty Thursday tie-in, but you know that's paying tribute to the the, the illegal stills and moonshine running operations of uh, you know of Kentucky and the Bowling Green area. Um, and per usual, I wish I had more time to explore Bowling Green. You know, there's like Mammoth Caves down there. I, I went there when I was in my early 20s, and just amazing. I'd love to visit that um, that uh, Corvette Museum where there was a sinkhole collapse. I was just talking to a friend of mine in the record store. And uh, he said that where the sink, where there was a sinkhole in the Corvette Museum, where all these classic cars collapsed into it, they covered some of the cars they didn't take out and they covered that with glass. So now you can go into what used to be the Corvette Museum showroom, peer down into uh, <laughs> down through glass and see Corvettes eternally captured in a sinkhole. And uh, I'll tie that back around to minor league baseball because the Bowling Green Hot Rods actually did play as the sinkholes one time, one of the more unique alternate identities from a couple years back. And I, I love that they did that. Um, you know, uh, bootleggers is a more common thing, but I'm glad they're they're doing that on the, on a night I'm in town. Um, so, yeah, just looking forward to re-familiarizing myself uh, with the Hot Rods because it has been a, a really long time <laughs> since I've been there. I remember last time I went there, um, Brad Taylor was the GM 
And I was talking to him about his impending move, which I think was then just becoming official to El Paso to, to oversee the Chihuahuas. And uh, he's still there today. So that's how long ago it was. Is my last visit to Bowling Green predated the inception of the El Paso Chihuahuas, which, you know, hey, if you're a minor league guy or gal or person, you know, it's been a long time. Uh, but anyway, going from there to Louisville. And I believe I got it down saying Louisville. I used to say Louisville, you know, but I, I, I just worked for that L-O-O-L, Louisville. Um, seeing the bats, again, it's been nine years since I've been there. Uh, got some good leads on some story ideas. Um, you know, more uh, your wheelhouse and your neck of the woods, Sam. But obviously the bats have had some real interesting players <laughs> this year come up and uh, make an impact. So I've been getting emails from fans talking about how this was one of the more uh, fun years to be a fan of the Louisville Bats, strictly from an on-field perspective. Um, but just looking forward to, to seeing all that again, gotten some, as I said, some good article leads. I'm hoping that um, the cookie lady will be in attendance, a uh, local entrepreneur with her own uh, cookie uh, business who's often at Bats games. And, you know, that's the kind of person that I, that I like to profile for sure. Um, Moving on from there to, again, AAA, AAA International League all the rest of the way. Uh, Indianapolis Indians, Victory Field, nine years since I've been there. Beautiful ballpark in downtown Indianapolis, you know, real close to where the Indianapolis Colts play. Um, you've got the uh, Indiana Capitol building in the background. There's been some new development around there that makes the Capitol maybe a little less prominent, but, you know, some big hotels in the skyline, but really impressive environment. And, um you know, AAA Pirates affiliate. I think it's a prospects weekend where they're doing some, uh, you know, Pittsburgh themed uh, alternate, you know, uniforms. So that should be good. They have a lot going on. Team's been real communicative with me so far. I've been getting a lot of like newsletter reader feedback. So I think there'll be a lot going on in that night. And uh, then closing out the season on a Sunday afternoon with the Columbus Clippers, another beautiful downtown AAA International League ballpark. Again, I haven't been there in nine years. Tons of history there. You know, they they have had a guy there for many, many years, Joe Santry, who has done a phenomenal job of, uh, you know, collecting and um, contextualizing the long, long history of baseball in Columbus. So always looking forward to exploring that kind of thing again. Um, I was informed recently that they have the Governor's Cup. The International League, you know, from 1933 to 2019, they played for the Governor's Cup, um, which was when you won the champion, you got the Governor's Cup. The apostrophe is after the S because it was multiple governors awarding this cup, apparently. I don't know the exact uh, story behind it. But the Clippers won in 2019. Then there was the COVID season. And then and with all the reorganization, they just have not brought the cup back into the mix. So uh, I was like, man, I want to see the Governor's Cup. It's in Columbus. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully I can write something about the governor's cup because that cup's seen a lot. I think it's like the Stanley cup. It's not like you get a new one every year. Like the governor's cup has traveled the international league since 1933. So right now it resides <laughs> in Columbus. Yeah. Similar to the Stanley cup. I would love there to be like a protector of the governor's cup. Just one person who's designated and has to watch that thing all the time and wear the white gloves and bring it all over the place. If you can, do your, uh, you know, you're always doing your subversive joke of the day. But if you could somehow like turn that video into you drinking out of the cup, I will. Uh, oh, I'll go. For I will it. find a, a prize to it. give you on your way <laughs> on your way back. I'll take some of that illegal whiskey I get in Bowling Green and uh, sneak it into Columbus and drink some moonshine from the governor's cup. That's the way to close out the season. And uh, <laughs> Thanks for the idea. That I mean, what better way to put a bow on another season of ballpark travel than drinking whiskey from the Governor's Cup? 
I think you might be joking, but I really, I seriously want this to happen. This is called synergy. And the fact that you would be bringing something from Bowling Green to Columbus, I love it. I want it to happen so bad. Um, well, yeah, ben, yeah. It's only a joke. It's only a joke till it happens. Then it becomes reality. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Um, well, uh, you know, we're talking to you here on the second day of the trip. You've only got one one place down so far. But as you're kind of looking forward to this, uh, I feel like this is the question I ask you all the time on these trips. Um, you know, what kind of ties this together other than just location? Like, what is there anything that you've understood over the years to be what is, you know, Kentucky, Indiana, um, Ohio baseball? Like, what kind of ties all this together in terms of mid Midwest Southern flavor? Well, outside of the hot rods, there's obviously the, um, you know, just AAA International League connection. And then I think a byproduct of that, which also includes Bowling Green, but the history is not as prominent, but is baseball history. I mean, these are all cities that have long, 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 deep, deep, deep roots in uh, professional baseball. So everywhere you go, like, uh, you know, where I was yesterday, First Horizon Park in Nashville, um, you know, the Sounds used to play at Greer Stadium, which is, you know, a couple miles away. But prior to playing in Greer, they played at Sulphur Dell. And that's a, it was a classic ballpark uh, in Nashville from the late 19th century into the 60s. And uh, First Horizon Park is in that exact same location. And um, I think with all these towns, you can really make those connections to baseball history. Uh, you know, some of them had major league franchises along the way in you know, the, the early 19th century. Um, just as corny as it sounds, but, you know, as baseball tells the story of America and America tells the story of baseball, I mean, I think a lot of these cities – uh, here in you know in the Midwest, uh, with a lot of history, um, just the baseball history reflects the history of the cities, and it's long and deep and interesting. And of course, that goes for everywhere uh, that you find baseball. But I think you have some more iconic and deep-rooted towns uh, around where I'm finishing up the season. Yeah, no, for sure. That that that's what stood out in my mind too when I was first asking the question. It's just the history at some of these places and how they embrace that history, um, especially you know I, like I'd seen in Nashville. Or, and Louisville when I was there earlier this year. Um, both of those clubs really love diving into that kind of stuff. And obviously Columbus does too, if they're holding on to the Governor's Cup. Uh, it's it's recent history, but it is a piece of history that they're holding on to there. All right, Ben. Well, you know, there's tons of other stories that you've written recently. Everybody can check that out on MILB.com. We'll talk about those more once you are back uh, in New York. But thanks for joining us from your trip on the road. Have a safe drive. Uh, to Bowling Green and, you know, all points beyond that. We'll see you next week. Yeah, man. See you in the office next week. And uh, I've got a lot of adventures ahead until Sunday. It's going to be an action packed couple days and some new records to listen to when I get home. And uh, it all, it's all good. It'll all be fun. Trying to put a nice little bow on this segment and I didn't get that great closing line, but you know what? It's okay. Going to hop in the car and drive the Bowling Green. There you go. That's the, actually I'm in Ben's, the car. I'm in the car. I'm just gonna stay in the car and drive the bowling green. Ben's Biz Banter sponsored to you by Grimies. That's I'm just gonna will this into existence that we can get Grimies the record store to to sponsor your your segment. Hey, I know a guy. I'd love it. I'd love it. Yeah. Grimies is a great record store. There's a free plug for you next time. Pay me, Grimies. <laughs> there we go. All right. Talk to you soon, Ben. All right. See you, Sam. Greetings from a hotel room in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Earlier this evening, I saw the Bowling Green Hot Rods, and during my time at the ballpark, I spoke with Hot Rods Assistant General Manager, Ashley Wilson, 
She's taken a unique path to get to the world of minor league baseball and is forging a unique path now within the industry. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Ashley Wilson of the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Bowling Green Hot Rods, Assistant General Manager Ashley Wilson, as well as front office dog Turbo hanging around. Turbo's, Turbo's my shadow these days. <laughs> yeah, and you're at the ballpark a lot these days yeah. as the Assistant General Manager of the Hot Rods, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I mean, everyone has their own unique career paths in minor league baseball, but you seem like yours has a lot of different unique stops along the way. Um, so where to begin? Yeah, well, I mean, really, it starts back from the very beginning, getting right out of right out of college. I went to Western Kentucky University, which is here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, um, born and raised here, um, but went to school for musical theater. So ended up moving to New York City after I graduated because that was the logical next step for, you know, the stage. Um, Ended up working in the business, in the industry, uh, but on kind of the behind the scenes, ended up working for an entertainment and production company, producing a lot of theme park shows, cruise ships, corporate industrial events, and fell in love with the back, like behind the scenes type of, of work in the performing arts. So learned how to produce, learned how to direct. And so that, you know, had my niche in, in the arts. Came back to Bowling Green, <clears throat> ended up working um, for the Performing Arts Center here, just down the street, um, and then got recruited by the Bowling Green Area Chamber of Commerce um, as a partnership sales representative. And it was funny because I thought, oh, I don't have much sales experience. The only sales I've ever done is selling Girl Scout cookies when I was 10. But um, it was really just my connection with the community since this is my hometown um and I love talking to people so it it was an easy fit an easy role for me I loved it I met so many people and I actually met Eric Leach former president and um COO here and Kyle Wohl's current GM um life took me away for another couple years just outside of Nashville and then this opportunity opened up here with Hot Rods um for a corporate marketing manager position <clears throat> and I wanted to get back home and I thought oh this is kind of perfect you know I it's the sales and the networking community relations and it's events because it, I mean you know baseball is an event space venue experience production if you will and uh it kind of launched from there I got here and three weeks before the season started in 2021 Eric looked at me and said, we didn't hire a non-field MC. Would you want to do it? And my theater, you know, self said, absolutely. Give me that microphone, put a camera on my face. I have no shame. And, um, three seasons later, I still service the MC, but, um, have been fortunate enough to grow from corporate marketing manager. Once I was a part of that creative side as the MC, uh, they brought me on as a director of creative so I was director of marketing partnerships and creative so promotions marketing social media all of that good stuff and continue to grow because as I've told you before you know minor league baseball obviously we've got the baseball but the the really great part about minor league baseball is that we also have the production we have the show and that is my niche that is what I'm great at because that's what I've done um and so this role has kind of culminated into 
really everything I've ever done and that I've been good at. And I have never felt more fulfilled in a career than I do now because I literally get to do everything that I love. I get to work with my community. This is my hometown. I get to network and work with other businesses and organizations throughout the community because that's what I love. I get to perform every night because still the MC. So the, the concourse, the dugouts, the field, they're my stage. And, you know, as a whole, I get to put on a show. I get to put on a memory making experience for our fans. And I love that because I remember going to games when I was a kid um, in Louisville or in Nashville. And the fact that we have something like this here, it really has fulfilled me to my core in ways that I'd never, I never imagined I'd be in sports. And now I can't imagine a life out of sports. So, um, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey to get here, but it's all added up to be able to do what I do now as AGM. Yeah. And you're doing a lot as AGM, but you still are able to utilize that performance background. What are some of your favorite things in terms of costume, between inning uh, contests, singing? What do you bring to this role? Yeah. So, um, I sing the seventh inning stretch every night because, um, I am a singer so that was, you know, one of the fun things also is that I still get to sing every night. Um, and I love doing that. And yes, you've touched on the costumes. You've seen me in some wild wigs and costumes <laughs> in my past. Again, it's that theater kid in me that I just love dressing up because again, we're making memories here. People see me in a wig. They want to take a picture. They see me, you know, dressed up in an inflatable unicorn costume they want to get a picture they remember that because I'll have kids come back and say I remember you had you know glitter in your hair or you were this unicorn or you were uh wearing a mullet and again I want to go all out because some it's somebody's first time in this ballpark it's someone's first time experiencing what we have to offer here outside of baseball but as entertainment so I I go all out I will wear the wigs I will wear the makeup I will wear the crazy costumes because at the end of the day, I want people to remember that we go all out here. We're not just trying to, you know, piddle around and do the least. I'm here doing the most. And to that end, tomorrow's game, which we're talking on Thursday, but Friday, September 8th, we will, or fans will get to see you as Cruella Cruella DeVille. There's my wig up there. It's a little crazy. <laughs> it still needs a little loving. I know everyone can't, that's listening can't see it, but. You can imagine in the black and the white. You can imagine. And obviously Turbo, who is here, he will be sort of a Dalmatian, but he'll be my dog. We're getting him a Dalmatian bandana, so it'll be close enough. But again, uh, I love getting to be these different characters and be these different personalities because that's just who I am. And I love being able to stretch that creative side of myself because I was born with it. I was born with that passion. Obviously, I went to school for it, have a degree for it worked in New York City for it, and the fact that I get to bring that to Bowling Green, Kentucky is pretty special, too. Yeah, and when we were talking earlier, you also do radio, is that? TV. TV. Yeah, so I am a local morning show host. Currently. For, <laughs> currently, for the local NBC and CBS affiliate, WNKY, and I have been doing that for about a year and a half now, and uh, I'm very good friends with the general manager of the station, <clears throat> and I worked with her years ago met her through the chamber and really everything I've done up to this point is I have to thank the chamber of commerce because I've really got to meet a lot of people and she reached out to me uh, probably close to two years ago and she said I want you as my host and I said 
absolutely not. No way. Um, and she's like, yeah, Ashley, I, I still want you and I'm going to fight for you. I said, all right, we'll keep fighting because I thought there's no way. Um, and then she approached me with different things and I said, we've got a great broadcast journalism school <laughs> a mile up the road. Why do you want me? And she was like, because you're from here, you're a personality and you care about what this community has to offer and what you offer to the community. I was like, okay, where, well, here are, here are my rules. If I have a late night, kind of like tonight, yeah. I can call them up and say, hey, guys, I can't make it tomorrow because I was at the ballpark all day long. And they're so flexible. They give me everything I need, so supportive. But, yeah, I, I do that. It's, I'm the crazy person with a 5 a.m. side hustle, but I love it because I do get to be more ingrained in my community than I ever thought possible. And they love the fact that I have the connection to the ballpark, and so I get to talk about the ballpark as much as I want. Yeah, so we're here talking after a pretty brutally long yes, ball game. it was a long game. It's 10-15 now. Uh, do you think you'll be on the on the air tomorrow morning? You know what? I probably will be because I'm one of those people. I'm no quitter. <laughs> Not that I, you know, but I have the option. And that's the, that is what makes me feel good. But I know <clears throat> we're at the end of the season here. And my long days won't be as long. Uh, come next week and it really is a mind over matter thing for me because I have people ask me all the time like how do you do both and it is a little crazy because I am burning the candle at both ends but I love I'm fulfilled in both of those things and I just mind over matter if I go into every day waking up thinking oh this is going to be the longest day ever then it will be but I go into it thinking I'm gonna have fun today because I do I have fun in everything I get to do and I'm making an impact in everything I do as well. Yeah, starting the day on uh, morning TV, ending it in a Cruella DeVille wig. That's just another, uh, yeah, another day. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you've had this role and you know, learned so much about minor league baseball and, and have it be so fulfilling, like, where do you see things going from here You know, as, as time progresses, as your career progresses? Yeah, so, you know, it's... It's been an amazing honor and privilege to be the first female assistant general manager in franchise history for the Hot Rods. I love that. I am honored by it. And, you know, I would, I'd love to see myself, you know, become GM one day. I think there's still things I need to learn. I know there are things I need to learn. Kyle's been a great teacher. Everyone with MILB has been a great teacher. All my, you know, Everyone that we work with at MLB have been great teachers. And um, as a matter of fact, Zach Grab actually sent me some connections with other women in sports just so I can pick their brains, have a mentor, because I know with there being so much to learn, I can really take to heart some of the things that they do on a day-to-day basis and put it into practice. Um, but I love that I learn something new every day because if you know, you're not learning, if you're not growing, you're dying. So... I'm glad to know that I have something to look forward to in learning every day. Today I learned that this was our longest game this season. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, no, it's at the end it's all worth it. I love it. I love what I do. And uh, I hope to see myself, yeah, grow into something, you know, even bigger than what I'm doing now. Yeah, Uh, yeah, so there's still things to aspire to. And um, I guess to wrap things up, um, Turbo... The front office dog, the ballpark dog, is sitting on your office floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you just speak a little bit about what he means to the team and the ballpark and maybe what he's going to be aspiring to as the years uh, Definitely. Progress. So Turbo will be four years old next month. Um, he was brought in uh, just before 2020 to be the team's bat dog. He was trying to fetch the bats. Um, there are videos out there. He can do it. But, of course, he was supposed to be – his first season was supposed to be 2020. Obviously, COVID shut down that season. So, we brought him back to do it 2021, and he did do it. However, he wasn't used to the pine tar because he was never trained with it. So, we thought, okay, we'll have to retrain him. Unfortunately, his trainer is not doing that business anymore. So, we're looking to find something else. But he still – he'll carry out game balls, little baskets of game balls or waters for the umpires. Um, so, he still does that a little bit. Right this year, he has been, he's been a dog of the people. He is a therapy dog. He's a comfort dog. He's an entertaining dog because he was out on the field tonight before the game, running around between the players. The coaches and managers love him, and he brings joy not only to the players, to the managers, but to the fans, definitely to the front office because, you know, who doesn't love a dog running around? and the joy that he brings because he is such a good dog. And I'm hoping next year we can bring him back to uh, what he was originally meant to be, (laughs) which is a bat dog, Uh, find him a trainer, find him a handler that can be in the dugout with him for a majority of the games and, and get him out there because the fans love it. And he did do it. And he actually went viral for it, uh, fetching his first bat back in 2021. Um, and he's great at it, and it's so entertaining, and I know he'll be able to do it. He still knows all his commands. He can still do it. It's just we got to get that pine tar. we got to get him used to pine tar. But he's, he's so much, he brings so much joy to our office and to the team, and I know he'll continue to for years to come. Yeah, so much more in store for Turbo, much more in store for you. I guess one more to wrap it up. Yeah. What costume that you have not worn at the ballpark as part of a promotion do you think would your ideal costume to wear what persona would you most like to inhabit that's wonderful that's a wonderful question because i would have told you two years ago it would have been winifred sanderson from hocus pocus because that is the character that's who i've wanted to be for halloween for years and i got to be that character two years ago and so now i'm trying to top that i'm trying to think of what i want to be because i have red hair so i got to do my hair all crazy i got the dress and I had the most fun being being Winifred, and that one's that's one's hard to top. <laughs> I'm gonna have to really think on that one. I am excited about Cruella tomorrow, um, but anytime I can just be over the top and memorable, recognizable, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And yeah, we'll have to be determined on that one. I've got to think about it because there are there's a lot of potential out there. A lot of good characters to bring to the ballpark. All right, well, keep in touch. Let us know. I will. Want to see what's in store. I'll send you pictures, all all the costumes. (laughs) Please do. But for now, uh, yeah, thanks so much for talking to me. Ben, thank you. I appreciate it. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners. 
stories in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club or player hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once put on his spikes season after season. The others didn't even have feet, or bodies, or souls. I made them up. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball players did at one time exist. A. Billy Resident. B. Charlie Mansmaker. C. Eddie Householder. You're safe at home if you picked C. Eddie Householder, whose 13-season minor league career took him back and forth and up and down across the North American continent over parts of two centuries. Householder was first domesticated in his home state of Pennsylvania, born in Pittsburgh in 1869. Householder left the familiar and hit the road to turn pro at age 27 as a member of the 1897 Palmyra Mormons of the New York State League. What exactly did Householder do before that? He may have been something of a homebody, as the historical record leaves much to imagine. But newspaper accounts from the era suggest he did play in the independent Cumberland Valley League of 1896, and Householder very likely spent all of his 20s holding his own on various industrial ragtag and semi-pro circuits, both international and domestic. What we can say for sure is that Householder became nearly a householder name, or a household name in the old Eastern League around the turn of the century, playing across three seasons in great minor league cities such as Rochester and Buffalo, where the newspapers lovingly referred to him as Haughty Householder and the Haughty One. He also courted success with Portland back in the New York State League where he started. He thereafter headed across the American territory, serving a stint with Rockford in the Three-Eye League before playing the first of many seasons he'd spend on the West Coast, all over California, as well as in Oregon, Washington State, and British Columbia. His largely Pacific Coast-inclined career was interrupted by his breaking through with Brooklyn of the National League at age 33 in 1903, but he was only there long enough to get into 12 games, and ambled back westward with stops on Midwestern teams along the way. One thing Householder never held was his opinions to himself. In a 1901 incident, while he was playing for the Los Angeles Angels against the commuters up in Oakland, Householder was ejected after being called out at third base on an attempted triple in the fifth inning. With no showers or clubhouse to retreat to, he sat on the bench until the eighth, when Oakland pitcher Cy Russell came to the dish after a long pause in the action while the commuter skipper made up his mind whether or not to pinch hit for Russell, who'd apparently coughed up a few runs and walked possibly as many as six in relief. You have a nerve to bat, you have, Householder shouted, prompting the umpire to demand Householder's eviction from the premises. His removal, the San Francisco Call reported, required a uniformed police officer. Householder, the angel strong hitter, is a kicker as well, the paper noted. As a player, Eddie wrapped up his A-plus minors career with the Victoria Bees of the Northwest League in 1911, co-managing that team. He went on to also manage the San Bernardino Kittens of the Southern California League in 1913. And that's how Eddie Householder made his home on the diamond. Now, on to the question for next time. 
which of these teams never struggled to be heard from in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Jersey City Announcers B. The Bandon Big Mouths C. The Bridgeport Orators Want to know the answer? Talk through it. Or tune for the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is trying rock climbing for the first time, and I can't leave him hanging. Well, that was just radio magic, you and Ben. And, uh, of course, Josh Jackson. A little different spin to Ghosts of the Miners this week, by the way. Now we're talking individual ghosts, in addition to talking team ghosts as well. So, you know, we're we're mixing things up on Ghosts of the Miners. Don't ever say we don't evolve on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure we could look back at episode five and prove our own evolution to ourselves, right? Boy, couldn't we. I, I won't. I won't do that anytime soon, but, you know. <laughs> But we could if we wanted to, is what we're saying. We could if we wanted to. All right, MILB.TV is your place to catch all the best and brightest across minor league baseball. Sam, what do you got an eye on uh, in the minor leagues this week? Yeah, so I'm going to actually throw it to next week, a six-game set uh, between Montgomery and Biloxi. Uh, we were talking about playoffs before and the postseason coming around for the minor leagues. It's It's the last series of Southern League play next week. As we sit here on Thursday, Montgomery has half a game lead over Biloxi in the Southern League South Division. Um, so that is still very competitive. Uh, every game is going to mean something next week between those two clubs uh, in Biloxi. And it's also a, just a loaded matchup. Uh, on the Montgomery side, you have Junior Caminero, who has really come on strong the last two months. He's been really good all season long. There's a reason why he's a top 10 prospect for us. Uh, but he's really, really been good. To the point where I think if Montgomery wasn't competitive, he might be at Durham right now. Um, but because the Biscuits have something to play for, and also Durham is pretty loaded with infielders themselves, uh, the Rays are keeping him with Montgomery, which is to the Biscuits' benefit. And then on the Biloxi side, one of my favorite prospects, of course, uh, is Jefferson Caro and Jackson Churio. Love both of those guys uh, in the Brewers system. Both of those guys still remain with the Shuckers as well. And again, I think part of that has to do with the fact that the Shuckers have something to play for. Uh, so that should be really, really fun. Uh, both of those teams, if they don't clinch, you know, the second half uh, championship or the second half title, they're not going to the playoffs. So their season would be over. Uh, so tune into any of those games next week. It's a six game set in Biloxi. Like I said, it always is. Uh, but yeah, every one of those games will be really fun to watch. So keep an eye out for that. Tyler, what are you watching? I like it, Samuel. Um, I'm going to double A and the matchup between the Northwest Arkansas Naturals and the Frisco Rough Riders. The Rough Riders, obviously, uh, with a whole bunch of talent, including Jack Leiter, uh, who recently, um, you know, was starring in throwback Rough Riders uniforms. Not often we see a minor league throwback with the same team name, but Frisco did it. Uh, Frisco now has Wyatt Langford, who is the fourth overall pick in the draft, MLB's number 13 overall prospect. I believe that I plugged a Wyatt Langford game like two weeks ago when he was still in Hickory, uh, and now he is up. 
with uh, with Double A Frisco. So he will be taking on uh, the Kansas City affiliate, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Uh, they got a lot of prospects on that team, including um, second-ranked Royals prospect Caden Wallace. And uh, you can catch those games, including the uh, MILB TV free game of the day coming up on Sunday as Northwest Arkansas takes on Frisco. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. A huge thanks to uh, Benjamin Hill for joining us from the road. The always continually evolving and growing Josh Jackson uh, with a new slant on ghostly miners. And uh, for Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll catch you next week. 